my friends, and welcome to episode eight of the Intentionally Well podcast. I am your host, Vanessa Lopez. So today I have a great show for you all. I had the pleasure of interviewing Lena Lahire, who happens to not only be a dear friend of mine, but someone who has an absolute plethora of personal and professional experience in the health and psychology world. Lena has been immersed in the health and fitness industry since about 2010. She first obtained her personal training certificate from Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta, and she started off then by training clients one-on-one and even went on to teach bar. Lena also studied nutritional psychology at the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, where she received her EPC certificate as a registered eating psychology coach. But after working with clients for over 10 years, she knew that there was something missing in her practice. While she was able to help people with the physical side of health, she discovered that that mental health piece was missing. She then decided to leave her successful career as a personal trainer and go back to university to become a psychologist, which is what she's currently in the midst of as we speak. Lena is also a writer and best-selling author of the book, Food Rehab for Food Junkies, which explores the reasons why some of us have a dysfunctional relationship with food and how we can change that. And that book is available still at all major retailers and online platforms. And she is also the host of the popular podcast, What the Health. So many words come to mind when I think about this conversation, but the first word that comes to my mind is simply important. This episode is filled to the brim with information that I still believe gets lost in the mix when we're talking about what it means to age well. Lena talks about the very bumpy road that she challengingly walked down in her earlier years, which even included a drug addiction and an eating disorder, and how all of that experience brought her to current time and this field of psychology. She brings up so many great points, including how chronological age is definitely not the only factor when it comes to our true age, and how subjective age plays a drastic role. She talks about the healthy life expectancy measure and the details behind that, the importance of muscle tissue and building and maintaining that muscle, as well as social determinants of health and how there is this standard medical model of aging, which we're so used to, but then we have this social model of aging and that this is very much in relation to our relationships, our support systems, our community, and more. Now, I know I'm a humble boaster of all my guests, and I think for good reason, but I feel that this is one of the most important conversations to listen to because the subject matters to everyone. Aging well is everyone's concern. And even though I think more people are becoming aware of these different perspectives, I think this stuff is so largely under-talked about and largely underestimated. Lena just has a ton of food for thought on this subject, and I hope that you find this episode as helpful and informative as I did. So without further ado, here is today's show. Hi, Lena. Hello, Vanessa. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so thankful that you're here with me. It is such an honor to be on your podcast. As a fellow podcast host, I know how valuable and sacred your podcast is to you, and it it matters who you have on. So the fact that you chose me and are trusting your audience with my information is very special. So thank you. Wow. What a beautiful sentiment. Thank you. And Mm -hmm. I know you know, we've we've talked about this podcast as well for many moons, right? Before this actually happened. So I appreciate all your support before I launched. So I really, really am thankful. Always. (laughs) Okay. Well, before we get into the nitty gritty of this all, I want you to give our listeners a little bit of a background on you. Just why are you in the space that you're in? What brought you to this path? Or I should say, you know, this path sort of found you. So tell us a little bit about your background and what's going on with you. 
far you want to go back <laughs> as long as, <laughs> as far as you want to take me <laughs> oh that could take us on a whole bunch of rabbit trails so we'll start with the fact that I got into fitness quite early I was probably about 15 years old I'm not exactly sure what propelled me but it was after I moved away from home I went to go live with with my father who I didn't know my parents split up when I was five but a series of un unfortunate events uh, took place during my childhood, which caused me to have to leave home when I was 15. And I remember my stepmom had workout videos. I think I have no idea who they were, but I ended up just doing fitness and I loved it. I loved how it made me feel when I moved back to Saskatchewan. I'm from a small town in Saskatchewan, Canada, for all of your listeners, they would have no idea where I was from. <laughs> I started doing workout videos. So like Claudia Schiffer, Buns of Steel, oh Pilates. <laughs> I lived on an acreage. We had a super long driveway. So I would just like run back and forth on the driveway. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like 16 years old, right? And then when I was 17, I joined a gym, really fell in love with exercise even more. Although all I did was like cardio and abs. <laughs> <laughs> very, oh my gosh. I remember these days so well. <laughs> very typical. But then when I was 17, I got into drugs. And so I was still working out, but doing drugs. And I started to lose a lot of weight because when you do drugs, you don't eat. And as I started to live that life, I graduated from high school. I had the intention of becoming a personal trainer straight out of high school. I abandoned that plan because I had been dating my drug dealer and I was you know, madly in love with him and this whole lifestyle that, that we had. So I abandoned that. But as my life started to go downhill very quickly, I decided this was not the kind of person that I wanted to be anymore. And so I tried to stop doing drugs multiple times. Finally, when I was successful, the weight started to come back and I was already really skinny. I needed to gain weight, but I didn't know how to handle that because it was that way of having control over my life. I could, you know, control how much I ate or didn't eat and I could control how much I exercised. Right. And so I developed an eating disorder because of that. And I struggled with bulimia for nearly a decade. And throughout that, I stopped doing drugs. I left that guy. I went, became a personal trainer. And during my education through university and, and doing fitness, I was probably the most unhealthy that I've ever been. I was in the peak of being bulimic. I was thrashing my body with exercise. I was always injured, always tired. And I started, I, I could not stop gaining weight despite everything that I was doing. I was so unhappy, but I realized that there were times when I would feel better. And so I knew that there was some kind of psychological component, but at this time I'm 21 years old. I still don't really know. Sure. So after, you know, probably about five years of working as a personal trainer, I stumbled upon something called the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. And it was a coaching program a year long where it taught you all about nutrition from a different perspective. And I had studied nutrition in university, but it was very like sports nutrition focused, um, you know, counting calories and macronutrients and, you know, that whole world, which you're well aware of, but this was totally different. And through this education, I realized that the reason I wasn't seeing results was because I was doing too much. The other reason was that I had a whole lot of baggage and things that I was using exercise and food to hide away from and to not deal with. And so when I took a step back and started to reassess why, why I felt like I had to thrash my body with exercise, why I felt like I needed to binge and, and all of that, my body started to let go and kind of just settle into what it, it was supposed to be. I started doing less exercise. I started walking. I started, I started teaching bar that kind of led me down a different trajectory as well, though. Old habits die hard. <laughs> um, That's the truth. Yeah. And then another five years goes by and I'm still in the fitness industry. I'm in a much better place and I'm taking on clients 
as an eating psychology coach and a strength and conditioning coach, I'm just not making progress with them. And I'm like, what, what is going on? I need to keep like referring out is, is one of the first things I noticed when I'd have a client. And I'm like, uh, this is out of my scope of practice because as I would dig deep into like, they'd come and see me for nutrition coaching. Yes. I have an eating psychology coaching background. I'm not a psychologist at this point, right? I'm still not. I'm in university right now, but you're much closer, (laughs) much closer, not at this point. And so my scope of practice is very small, right? Like I can like talk to them about feelings and stuff, but like, really, uh, what I noticed is that all of these people had so much trauma and abuse and neglect and hurt and pain. And it was, it was a big eye opener for me because I had to keep referring out. I'm like, I'm sorry, I I can only help you this far. I'm going to need, need you to go see a psychologist, like someone who's better qualified than I am. I'm not qualified to help you. I can listen to you but I can't give advice. And that's when I realized that I really needed to switch careers is because all of these people were coming to me, but I couldn't effectively help them. So that's what led me to go back to school. I had to upgrade all my math because I never did any in high school because I was too busy doing drugs. That was a whole thing. So I got into university. I didn't know how it was all going to work out but it worked out. Thank the good Lord. And now I'm on the path to becoming a psychologist. However, I'm not becoming a therapist. So (laughs) when I say psychologist, most people are like, Oh, you're going to be a therapist. I'm not going to be a therapist. I'm, I'm hoping to become a social psychologist because that's what I'm really interested in. Uh, And health psychology, which is a subspecialty of social psychology. So health psychologist kind of looks at how we combine health within our social relationships and within our psychology. Wow. And you know, it's funny, you're sitting here telling us the story and I can't help but think that, and of course I know you personally compared to our li- most of our listeners. And so, but I just, I, I can't help but think how well suited are you for this? And this is just what happens with all of us. I feel like we have these these circumstances and these things that happen, you know, for us, not to us, mm-hmm. and they drive us towards the place that we are supposed to be and the and the quote unquote ministry that we are mm-hmm. supposed to be practicing, you know, in order to help others. And I think that you've been through so much and it's just such an amazing thing to see your see and hear your journey and how you've gotten to this point, you know, and it's like I said, it's these things did not happen to you. They happened for you. And I know that that's really, really hard to see in when we're in it, you know, mm-hmm. but now looking back, you must just go, wow, like, I just cannot believe this journey. And I can't believe that I'm here now. And it, yes. you're so well suited for this. You know, I just, I have to give you that because it's, it's just amazing. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a testament to my faith as well. And it's very 100%. interesting. Um, you know, in psychology, we study resiliency a lot and the more resilient someone is, the better life they have, the better quality of life they have. It even lowers your risk of mortality, this resilience. Right. And one of the ways that we build up resilience is we go through hard times and then we overcome it. But it's also about our attitude as we're going through those hard times. So when you say like, you know, shifting your focus and, and seeing what you've been through as using it as a way to propel you forward is a way that you build resilience. But if you kind of stay stuck, like I could have stayed stuck very easily in many different ways. I could have stayed stuck in a drug addiction. I could have stayed stuck in an abusive relationship, right? right. right? I could have not challenged why I had an eating disorder and, and, and dug deeper, but it's the perspectives that we take that make all of the difference. Absolutely. I cannot agree more. I could not agree more. I mean, I know that from personal experience as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So as we sort of dive into this, I know that a huge topic of interest for you has been what does it mean to age well? Mm -hmm. And I know you've been studying this extensively. So I want to sort of pick your brain. What does it mean these days in today's world, especially what does it mean? Or what does it look like to 
age well? Because I know that so many people have so many different perspectives on this. Mm-hmm. And I would love to get your take. Yeah. So in, in psychology in Canada, at least, or in the university I'm at, you can kind of go down two degree streams or two streams within your degree. And you, you can't like take classes in both of them. You have to kind of choose one. And, and one's developmental. So looking at children and the other is aging. And probably due to the fact that my grandparents did most of my raising because my mom had to go back to work. I was five when my dad left. I was around older adults all of my life. So I was acutely aware of aging and the elderly. And I I have a very special place in my heart for the elderly. Mm-hmm. I do too. So, I do much too. more than children. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I do. I do as well. I, I used to work a bit with elderly when I was mm. working in um, healthcare and yep. I understand that completely. Mm-hmm. I do. I have a, I have a soft spot for them. Yeah. When it comes to aging, it matters to everyone because we all age and we're all going to yeah. get older Yeah. and age affects everyone. And so I'm actually going to put that question back to you. And I'm going to ask you, what do you think it means to age well? If someone were to ask you that? Well, I know enough to know that there are different forms of age. So, because we often think about just things like chronological age, Mm -hmm. but you know, the little that I do know, and you know, I know I even listen to a podcast of yours and you had a really great show with the professor at the university mm-hmm. about this and there's so many other things that play into it mm-hmm. um, and I think that the thing that's probably missed the most would be the way or like societal factors right mm-hmm. and the way that we not just live our lives from a like a physiological standpoint right like what we're eating how we're sleeping you know all those things but it's more like community and connection and those kind of things i think play a much bigger role than most of us probably realize am i on the right path here you you absolutely are you know when i think of aging well i think about being disability free for as long as possible amen to that right so I have some statistics and yes, they're Canadian statistics, but it's North America. They're transferable to the U S right. So I think it's over 40% of Canadians 65 and over have at least one disability and pain is the number one disability that people have. And I know I don't need to talk to you about chronic pain. You do not. (laughs) Pain affects mobility. Yeah. Yep. It affects social interaction. It affects your subjective health and well-being, and it affects your quality of life. Yes, absolutely. And wow, this is this hits major home for me because you know, as many listeners probably know by now, this is something that I am challenged with and and healing from. I want to make sure that I put that in there, but it takes such a toll on you that I would be lying if I said that I feel and have felt much older yeah. than I actually am chronologically in the last few years of my life. 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting that you bring that up because subjective age, which is what you just described, how we feel, how old we are, is a better predictor of happiness, health, and longevity than chronological age. I believe that. I so believe that. Yes. I, I'm living it and I've been living it. So it's very easy for me to agree. I can see, however, how there might be some, you know, questions that, that people might have like, yeah, right. You can't be 25 and feel like you're 55. Uh, No, you can, Mm -hmm. you can, you know, and there could be a 55 year old that feels like a 21 year old. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So at least 40%, over 40% those 65 and older have at least one disability. 55% of adults 65 and older have at least two or more chronic conditions. And that number goes up as we age. And when you think about that, I'll give you another statistic before I go on. The average expectancy, life expectancy is 80 here in Canada. It's probably pretty similar in the U.S. I think it's 78 or 77 or somewhere around there, I think. Uh, Don't quote me, but I think. So they have something called the healthy life expectancy. And that's the amount of life you live disability free. Mm 
And that average is at least 10 years younger. So around 70, and it, it varies for males and females, but averaging 70 between sexes. So you can expect that you will spend at least 10 years of your life with some kind of chronic condition. So when I think about what does it mean to age well, I would like to extend that healthy life expectancy. So I'm living, if my average life expectancy is 80, I want to be living up till 80 without all of these disabilities and reliance on medications and pharmaceutical interventions, knowing that all of those things affect our subjective well-being, which affects how we age. Exactly. Because the reality is, is that who wants to live a life where you're 105 and you can't move? No. You know, that is not a life that I would want for myself, you know, and I'm not saying this to be critical or judgmental. I mean, I realize, but there, it's interesting. We live in such a time where there's all these modern technological advances that are extending people's age. Exactly. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you, you might be 85 or 90, but how many medications are you on? What are you, how's your, how's your, your daily life? And mm -hmm. if it is, if it's super difficult, then there's something to that, which is, I think, what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and you hit the nail on the head. We're living longer, but we're not living healthier. And our reliance on technology is actually one of the culprits. Yeah, it's and it's increasing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. As people just, I, well, I think, and again, this is, I've, I think I've said this before on a, a previous show, but this is such a big topic. And it's like, the the pharmaceutical world, or I should say the pharmaceutical industry sort of runs this world. And that's what they want, right? Because that's that's just, I mean, this I, I don't even want to open the can, so we'll just keep going. But yeah. we're programmed to just think, well, what can I do? What can I take? What yeah. quick fix can I come upon so that I could just extend my life? And not, you know, and the fear of dying is there, you know, the fear of of life ending is is so real for so many people, but yet sometimes it seems like life ends before life really ends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's important for us to to define what aging is. And as you said, we can think about age from a chronological view, but it's not the greatest measure. It's deeply flawed because there's so much variation within age cohorts and between age cohorts. Right, right. So like you said, there could be an 85-year-old that is super active, that they've been active their whole life. And there can be an 84-year-old that's decrepit. Yeah. That and there could sense. be a 25-year-old that's fit and healthy. And there can be a 25-year-old that is not. So chronological age is a deeply flawed measure which poses a lot of problems because most of our policies are based off chronological Absolutely. age. Yes. Yep. Like You're... retiring at 65. Yeah. Or even things like insurance care. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Wow. So functional age, what we're able to do or our subjective age, how we feel, they're much better measures of age in general. And when we look at age, you might you might be familiar with this term, the biopsychosocial perspective. Are you familiar I, with yes, that? Yes. Well, I actually am familiar with it because I heard your show about it, and you yeah. guys had mentioned that. I think her name is Dr. Connor. Yeah, Connert. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, Connert. Yeah. Yeah. So I um I remember you guys touched on this. Yeah. So this is very big in in the health world in the psychology world, but it means that we have to view age. We should really view most things through this biopsychosocial perspective. So biological includes the physiological factors and things like genetics. Uh, psychological includes things like your cognition, emotions, personality. And then our social, the social context includes things like history and culture. And all of these factors interplay to create health or disease over the life course. Another concept is looking at aging, looking at wellness through a life course perspective. So instead of looking at where someone falls in their lifespan, it's what has that person been through 
through their entire life course, their histories, where they've lived, the time period that they grew up in, all of these things play into how we age and how well we are. So aging is quite, it's quite a complex complex. Yeah, it really is complex, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that most of us just don't spend enough time really dissecting even the first level of this. No. During our lifetime. No. No. And we, and we're not aware that all of these things interplay. And you've said this before, and I know that you deeply believe this, but everything is connected and we can't isolate one thing and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to make sure that I exercise. And we are going to talk about exercise. I am going to talk about the physiological sides of how we can age well, but it's not the only side. It's not the only component. It's not, it's not. And it's across the board. I mean, no matter what, what part of your life you're in, you cannot achieve optimal well-being if you're only focusing on one piece of the pie. And I, you know, this comes up all the time. This was the, the main focus of the premise of the show. And, and I feel like we're in a space now where more people understanding this, Mm -hmm. but I still think that there's a lot left behind. Well, I think because we're so dominated by a medical model when it comes to healthcare and there's a social model of healthcare as well. And I'll make the distinction. So the medical model has dominated. It still dominates. Things are slowly moving, but make no mistake, it still dominates. Right. Of course. The programming is hard to shatter. Yes. And and it focuses more on the incidents, the causes and the treatment of disease with an emphasis on things like surgery, medications and and rehabilitation. Correct. And there's a place for that. There is a place for that. There's a place for it. But I mean, there's a difference between acute care and prevention and wellness. And there's a, a big difference between acute care and chronic condition care. 100 billion percent. Yes. And And if you go back to that stat that I just quoted, how you can expect to have one or more chronic conditions at some point in your life, you want a system that is able to deal with chronic conditions. Yeah. And it's still really hard. Yeah. It's, it's so hard to navigate a chronic condition in this current model. Yes. Yeah. No matter where you are. You can't, I, I don't think you can because- Most of the chronic conditions that people have aren't due to structural problems. Right. (laughs) It may play a role. You and I have had this discussion. Mm -hmm. It may play a role, but it isn't the only thing there. It's not the only thing there. Nope. And I know people aren't going to want to hear this, but just because you had an abnormality on an MRI scan doesn't mean that that's where the pain is coming from. This reminds me of the curable app. Yep, that you, exactly. Yep, you're familiar with that as well. There's I a still lot of, do it every yeah. day. You know what? I need to get back into it because it's a really good, good little program to do on the daily. I don't do it every day. I've been trying to get back to it every yeah. day, but I did yeah. it today and it makes such a huge difference. I know. I know. I know. I, I really need to get back into it, but they do. T- and they talk about this from a scientific back, a scientific it's all science research background. I mean, this is not woo woo no. stuff, you know, this is, it's just, but you know, we're programmed as people to think, okay, wait, I have a slipped disc. Therefore, yep. that is the reason why I'm in pain for seven years. Yep. And the reality is, is that most of the time that's not the case. It, it's, it's not the case it's not the because case. There's all of these people that have all of these abnormalities on, on different imaging right. and they Worse. have no pain. And they have no pain. That's and right. they have no pain. Yes. Yep. Yep. So then we have to, we have to look at a different model of healthcare and that's where the social model of healthcare comes in and, and it views health as having this biopsychosocial perspective. It also emphasizes the role of agency, which I have talked at length about. Uh, And that's just knowing that we have influence over our life, that we're not destined by our genetics to have all of these different outcomes. Maybe we certain things happen due to genetics and they absolutely do, but we still have agency over our life. And this is a hard concept, I think, for some, because 
for two reasons. Number one, we've been told our whole lives that we do not have agency over what happens to us medically or with our health. And number two, it's hard because this puts the responsibility back on the individual. And for many people, they don't want to hear that. They just want to be dependent. And I don't say this to be insensitive. I say this Mm -hmm. because it's true. Mm -hmm. Well, and a lot of people just don't know, know. right? Like, and there's all these other factors again, that are playing into it. Like someone's upbringing, psychological factors, social context, right? So unless someone knows how to kind of put all these pieces together and it takes a lifetime, you don't do it overnight because the the parts are moving. You know that better than anyone. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. I just feel like I think back to what I used to think about in terms of all this when I was a child and to no one's fault. I mean, not my parents' fault. And it's, it's just so drastically different Mm -hmm. from what we know to be true today you mm-hmm. know, and what we're learning today. And it's like, what a shoulda, coulda, you know, like if mm-hmm. I only would have known about XYZ 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever, if I only would have known about nervous system health, you know, totally. and all of that stuff. But, you know, it's just, it's wild. It's so mm-hmm. wild. So you did make mention of the physiological aspects and the the physical component, right? When it comes to aging. So I want to go back to that. I want to touch on that for a second. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about the importance of uh, strength Mm -hmm. and building and maintaining muscle, for example, strength Mm -hmm. training, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot more awareness surrounding this nowadays, but what are your conclusions about like how important this is when it comes to aging? Well, it's everything. It's so important. So there's a condition called sarcopenia and it's clinically defined as a loss of muscle mass and strength. And the prevalence in those aged 60 to 70 is between five and 13%. You think, well, that's not, maybe that's not that bad. It's actually, that's quite high. And it increases anywhere from, this is a big stretch from 11 to 50% by the age of 80 or higher. Okay. And you might think, why does that matter? Well, it matters a lot. We're going to get to that. (laughs) It occurs with aging naturally, but it also occurs with immobility. So if you don't use it, you lose it. it. (laughs) And muscle is unfortunate. Yes. Muscle is unfortunately like that. The hallmark symptom is a loss of lean muscle mass or muscle atrophy. So that's where hypertrophy is where we build. Atrophy is where it breaks down. And that's why you see a lot of elderly people there. I mean, I don't like to use the word frail because frailty is actually clinical diagnosis. Majority of elderly do not go into frailty, but that's why you see like a lot of of elderly people, they don't got much muscle mass, especially women. Right. Just overall, because in general, there's less muscle mass there to begin with for women, I think. And as they age, they just get a little bit more brittle. And they shy away from strength training and they always have. We're starting to see a shift in that now, but traditionally women didn't want to strength train. Right. You think about someone, my grandma is still living, both grandmas actually, they're in their nineties. I mean, they didn't strength train. Like that was for men, right? I know. In fact, I've spoken to my own mom about this and I I've told her several times, like, you know, you really should think about this because it, it will help, you know, but it's not, um, it's not ingrained, you know, and, and she's a bit more old school as well. So it's just not, it's not as ingrained in the older generations, especially to, to do it. And, you know, it's funny, this is such an interesting topic for me to touch on because I am what I would consider to be still fairly young. And mm-hmm. I've seen this happen at such a young age because of mm-hmm. what uh, the challenge that I have been faced with. And I will be the first one to say that atrophy is, while there is absolutely, poss- there's so much possibility and there's so much comeback that that is possible, right? 100%. Um, but it's so interesting to see it in, if it, ha- see it happen. The level of atrophy that I have seen in my own body, in my own situation, is fairly extreme. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what two and a half to three years of not moving the way you used to will do. Mm-hmm. And to go from strength training to no strength training. 
And so I think about it, my age being 42, right? That's how old I am. Yep. 42. <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. But 42, there's certainly a level of hardship that I see when completing normal tasks, okay, at this age um, yep. due to the circumstances. So then you think about somebody who is in their late 70s or 80s or whatnot at that progressive stage to have that kind of atrophy. If they fall, as an example, it's huge. It's huge. If yep. I fall, it may be big, but it might not be as big. Where maybe say someone like yourself, you fall, you get up in a couple minutes and you and you're good. You dust yourself off. You might be a little sore, but you're okay, you know? Yeah. And um, you know, it's just wow, this this topic is important. And it's so important. Yeah. It is. And because like any condition, and sarcopenia is a condition, it doesn't happen overnight. Right, right. It doesn't. No, Dementia right. doesn't happen overnight. I mean, we know that changes in the brain of those that have dementia, they start in your thirties and symptoms don't express until, you know, sixties, seventies, eighties, but these changes happen over time. Yeah. And so it's a slow grow. So should you care about sarcopenia if predominantly it happens when you're like 65 and older, you absolutely should because you're affecting your outcomes later on in life. It's looking at the long game Instead of short term, I don't feel like working out or it's too hard or whatever. Sure, sure. You don't want to be 80 years old and not be able to get up off the toilet. Absolutely not. And I think that, well, I'm hoping that with these younger generations as well, they're shifting mental gear a bit and looking at working out and looking at wellness a bit differently, not just yeah. what what can I do at the gym today so I can look good tomorrow. Totally. Because I feel like for many people, including myself back in the day when I was personal training and when I was in there, I wasn't thinking about 75. No. I was thinking about 25, you know, yep. and what yep. I was going to look like and how good I was going to look in my clothes. <laughs> totally. You know, and it's so much more than that. Yep. It really, really is. And it's unfortunate, but most people don't seek health until they're confronted with a condition. Say that again for everybody in the back. <laughs> they don't focus on their health until they're confronted with a condition. I don't know if this will change. This is what the research shows. It's very unfortunate, but this is often what it takes for people. Well, we often don't hear the voice when it's whispering. Yeah. We're forced to move when the voice is screaming at us. And it's like anything in life, right? I mean, a lot of times we are not woken up until we have no other choice. But for all who's listening, who really, you're, you know, you're, you're coasting, you're cruising, make sure that you, you're not coasting and cruising in, in, your, in your brain, you know, mentally, mm -hmm. because and emotionally, that's not to say to be paranoid. That's not to say to be neurotic about your health, but it's, for sure. it's so important to think about prevention in a way that's healthy. Um, like I said, not neurotic. And because the years pass and they pass yep. quicker than we think. They really do. Yeah. And so it's they really, really important to to have a, a hold on, a, a firm grasp on this in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And you, you know? mentioned falls and falls is one of the biggest reasons for the elderly going in for hospitalizations. Yeah, I think yeah. it's one one person age 65 and over will have at least one fall a year, not two. I mean, falls can be disastrous. Again, we don't think about it when we're younger because we can we fall. We, I mean, I slipped and fell on the ice the other day. It took, it took me like friggin' five days to recover from that. <laughs> I know, and you're in great shape. Gosh, yeah. thank God that was not me. I like bump into a wall and I'm down for two weeks right now. But I mean, falls can be just disastrous for older adults. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. if they lose that mobility, that leads to a loss of independence and that independence and autonomy is what we need a little bit of what we need for our overall well-being. Yeah. Think about losing all of your independence. I mean, we see this when people have to give up their license, you know, when they become dependent. I mean, the number one reason that people would choose medical assistance in dying is they don't want to be a burden on their loved ones. Ugh. 
they don't that. want to be dependent. Yeah, it is so true. That because is so we're, true. we're in a culture and we can talk about the difference between collectivist cultures and individualist cultures. And we're in an individualist culture where we prize independence. Right. And so as people age and they become more dependent, instead of that's just how it goes naturally, they feel like a burden. And and if you don't have enough muscle on your body that when you fall, it completely takes you out and you're dependent on everyone, that's a very big deal. This is just a prime example of why mental and emotional health is just as important, if not more. Yeah. Because sometimes things do happen to our physical body. They do. And we have to have strength in our men the mental and emotional sector of our total being and spiritual to be able to get through this. And it is so hard, so much harder as an as an older adult, because I think there's just there's all these things that we don't think about too, like discrimination against them and things yep. that are not the the way that they sort of become slightly ostracized too from society. 100%. There's just all these little- In our society. In our society, not in all. That's a great point. That's Collectivist great cultures. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you look at Asian cultures, Indian. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not uncommon for parents to live in the home. Yeah. Children to live with their parents until they die. It's, it's an honor mm -hmm. to take care of people. Right. It's not in this culture. No, in West, for the most part, in the Western world, it's not that way. No. no. I mean, there's a mixed bag in, in the United States because we have so many different cultures here. But so you you see it here in pockets, Yeah. but not, not overall. No. 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 So, I mean, our social relationships play a huge role in how we age because at some point we're going to become dependent. Absolutely. Which I'm actually kind of was just going to bring me to my next question, because I feel like, and you, we touched on this a little bit earlier, um, these, the connection, the community, the social relationships, the relationships we have with our family, all of this plays such a role in quote unquote aging. Well, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. before we get to that, can, can we, can we talk about exercise a little bit more? Cause there's, yeah, please. there's a little bit more that I want to say about yeah, I it. I want to hear whatever else that you, that you have to <laughs> offer. Are you kidding? Go for it. Please. Uh, yes. We have a fitness background. Like you were a personal yeah. trainer. I was a personal trainer, but now we're talking more about functional fitness as we age. So I'd like to just drive the point home because maybe someone's like, yeah, I need muscle, but it's like, no, you, but you actually do this. Your life depends on it. Really? That's not an overstatement. The loss of muscle is a very big deal. So like we said, it increases our risk for falls. It changes our hormonal profile. If we don't have as much muscle, we become more insulin resistant when we don't have muscle, when we put on muscle, we become insulin sensitive. Yep. And as you know, insulin resistance leads to type two diabetes. You can't have type two diabetes without insulin resistance. Right. Right. So it changes our hormones. Uh, more muscle means a faster metabolism. That's right. Because, because muscle is expensive tissue to have. Yeah. It requires a lot prized. of energy. It's prized tissue for sure. It's prized. Also, the more muscle you have, means a healthier immune system. Pretty sure we all want a healthy immune system given what we just went through. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. More muscle means a healthier sex drive. And studies consistently show that people who have more muscle also have better cognition as they age. Oh, I believe that. Totally. I believe it's, that. Yeah. It's, it's also crazy. Yeah. Strength training is also the only thing other than psychotherapy that can increase your self-esteem. What else yes. does that? Yeah, no. And I can speak to that actually, because I, because I have not been in that mode the last couple of years, which I plan to change that very soon. I can see that because I always felt like I was a fairly confident person mm -hmm. and I saw that dip. I saw that dip and mm -hmm. that was really hard for me to look, to look at and to be honest with myself about yeah. Um, I even saw it just this last weekend. It's so funny because I took, you know, I took a little trip this last weekend for the first time. And, you know, since this whole thing has transpired and I saw myself, you know, at the pool in a, in a swimsuit and I thought, wow, I look really different. Like, I feel like I look really different. 
But then I just thought, you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But it's, I would have not thought that before is my point. You know, like I would have not thought, I would have not had those thoughts. And I could, I saw that self-esteem just, it just like was like, "Eh, hey, hey. Yeah. And I, I picked up on it right away. Mm. And I just thought, wow, that's so interesting. Now you have to shift gears, you know, shift your perspective. Think about what you have accomplished, what you have over, what I have overcome and all of that. But I will say that I, it's underestimated. And it's not just self-esteem and how, how you look that weightlifting strength training gives you. It's, it's the fact that if anyone has strength trained listening to this, you know, that you're going to hit a wall at some point. Mm -hmm. There's going to be an amount of weight that you can't lift something that you can't accomplish. And you're going to be confronted with failure. And you're going to have to push yourself past to the next level, which then brings on more confidence and more self-esteem. Exactly. And challenge. And it trickles to other areas of life. It does. It does. It's, it's so underestimated. I can't say that word enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. so underestimated. And, and, and that's, and so that's, that's one of the main treatments for something like sarcopenia, but please do not wait until you're an older adult. If you aren't already, that's fine. If you are already, that's fine. It is never too late to start strength training. You could be a little granny and you could start strength training with three pound dumbbells and you would still get benefits. I, I kid you not. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, if there's somebody listening though, that is a bit older and they maybe haven't gone down that path before, it's never too late, right? It's never too late. Yeah. Like starting whenever is better than not at all. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it doesn't have to be big, but it does have to be consistent. Because the consistency is better than let's do this really hard hardcore once a week. Totally. You know? Yeah. But if you're doing even body resistant exercises, you yep. know, using no weights three to five days a week or, you know, whatever, whatever is best for your body at that time and your age and all of those factors, that's going to be much better than going like super hard for three hours, one day, every 10 yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, and body weight is great to start out with. I will say though, that there needs to be progressive overload, meaning you need to be challenging your muscles at some point. Oh, I agree. And increasing weight, however that looks like. So I think you can get fit without the gym, but I don't think you can stay fit without it. Great point. Or some kind of, you don't have to go to a gym, but to have some kind of progressive overload in your life. Sure. So so basically what you're saying is to constantly challenge yourself. Exactly. Constantly challenge your muscles. The other important component of combating sarcopenia and building muscle as we age is getting enough protein. It's so important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And I know that there, there's a lot of people talking about the importance of protein, but it's really important. It is more important than we can probably, I, I didn't really even realize it as a personal trainer. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I knew all of the, this is a way back in the day here we're talking about, but I mean, I didn't really understand it the way that I understand it now. Mm-hmm. And I think that mostly when we're talking about women too, I don't think women yes. get enough protein. You this is, a, this is yep. a big, yeah, this is another big topic, but yeah. hundred percent. And I mean, every grown adult, regardless of whether your goal is to build muscle or not, you should be aiming to get at least a hundred grams of protein a day. Yeah, that right. number increases as we age. You know, there's a common misconception that older adults need less food or less nutrients, less protein. That is not true. They do not synthesize the protein as well. They don't absorb it as well. They need more and they need it more because their muscles also diminish. We diminish as we age. Right, right, right. We lose muscle mass. We lose bone mass. Like this only gets more important as we age. Absolutely. Not less. Right. No, it's, it's absolutely true. I believe it. I believe it. You know, think about how hard it is for women. And I love that you said that because this is where we're seeing, you know, really big issues is with women and consuming enough protein, not to mention the fact that women generally live longer than men. They tend to suffer from more chronic conditions than men, some chronic conditions, not others. Maybe that's more because they're likely to seek uh, medical help than men. 
we're seeing that gap shift and close a little bit, but aging has been described as a woman's issue in some literature Mm. because of the fact that women are live, they live longer. And so they're more likely to be widowed. They're more likely to be without a pension. They're more likely to experience poverty. They're more likely to experience isolation. Like these are all really big deals. No, it is. It's so true. Wow. I mean, so many of these things we don't even think about. This is all such such great food for thought. Mm -hmm. Truly. Mm -hmm. And so I would just encourage your listeners, like if you don't strength train already, start. Start. Yeah. It doesn't have to be big. 15, 20 minutes a day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And 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 get the most bang for your buck. Do the big movements. Don't go to a gym and do bicep curls like that. Functional. It's functional training you need. For the love of God, yeah. don't go and do bicep curls. Yeah, stop it with just the butt. I mean, not that they're bad. They're not bad. They're no, just, I, I, they're just, there's just, you know, you need functional, uh, functional movements. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's really, I think, more prevalent too when you're working with trainers and stuff like that now. Yes. They're, thank goodness that there's just more education around this because the reality is, is we just need to be able to move dynamically. We do. Yeah. And we need to be able to like walk upstairs and get up off of a chair and push ourselves up. Should we fall, right? Like how many times has an older adult fallen and they can't get up because they don't have the strength to push themselves up? Exactly. Exactly. So, so when you're doing your workouts, do the most bang for your buck. Yeah. Like do the big movements. If you can afford a trainer to get some guidance, wonderful. I know that that is not the reality for most people. Right. But any if little... all you can, yeah. And so if all you can do is walk, then walk. And of course, because nothing that we do only affects us, it comes back to the social determinants of health. Because if you don't have a support system to help you, you're probably going to fail. I know that sounds really harsh, but everything that we do affects the people around us and vice versa. Absolutely. Absolutely. Think about every single bite of food that you take influences your partner and how they eat, how they view food. The fact that you go for a walk in the morning influences your partner. Actually, our intimate relationships exert the most influence on us. Totally. And studies have shown this. There's a really interesting study looking at uh, women who received or were told they were going to receive electric shocks and they're looking at their brains in an MRI scan. So they looked at their brains when they were on their own, said they were going to receive an electric shock. It was going to be painful and more areas lit up. So there was quite quite a number of areas that lit up. Then they had their husbands hold their hand and less areas of the brain lit up. And then the third condition, they had a male technician hold their hand and their brains looked exactly the same that they did when they were on their own. Meaning our intimate relationships exert a powerful influence on the way that we perceive things and how we conduct our lives. Not surprising. Not surprising. And I think underestimated again i keep using the same word underestimated yeah and the social the social determinants of health is there's many but we need to look at these social aspects if we want to be successful yeah i did um i did a little podcast i think you listened to it it was a project that i had to do for one of my classes talking about family systems yes i listened yeah theory and that's that's saying that the family is a system and each individual is a unit within that system. And so if one unit changes, the whole system changes. Well, you can look at that for intimate partners. Like who knows you better than your partner? You can push your buttons better than your partner. Who holds all of these dangling things above you? Who knows all of your dark secrets and could hold things against you than your partner? They also have the ability to help you be healthier, better than anyone else. Right. Right. And that, that just is something that I think I didn't really, I don't think I was able to really grasp that concept in my younger years, but Mm -hmm. now I see so clearly just how important this aspect is. 
It is because think about you're in charge of buying the groceries, correct? Mm-hmm, I am. That influences what Jason eats. Absolutely. Or yeah. what he doesn't eat. Right. 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 So if you have a partner who wants to be, say there's a partner that wants to be healthy and the other partner is not on board and they always have Oreo cookies in the house, <laughs> then you have to confront Oreo cookies every single day. Yeah. 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 These patterns are not just, they don't just influence the individual. They don't. Yeah. Every little thing that you do influences those around you for better or for worse. Right. And it's not just the Oreo cookies. It's the <laughs> the ability to heal trauma. It's mm-hmm. the ability to have active and open communication. It's mm-hmm. the it's the there's there's a long list. Yep. There's a long list. To be understood, to be known. Yeah. To be validated or heard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not about patting people on the back. It's just about, yeah, being present, whether or not Mm -hmm. your partner or even the people who are closest to you are present with you, you know? Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a really great book, Bradbury, Thomas Bradbury. And I can't remember the other author's name, but it's called Love Me Slender and their relationship psychologists. And they, uh, they talk about how our intimate relationships can help to instill better health patterns in us. It's not just for people that want to lose weight. It is a main focus of that book, but it has taught me so much about how I interact with my partner, Kevin, and how a lot of the times we can feel like we're being constructive, but we're actually just being critical. And it's not helpful. They just, we just end up nagging and we don't really get anywhere. Yeah. This has been on my mind a lot as well. Yeah. How we often look for the other person to change or we focus on the faults of the other. But the reality is, is that we actually need to look in the mirror first. Yeah. Yeah. And, And praise like the small things. Absolutely. That they do or that we do. Like we would want that too, instead of focusing on the negative. So, you know, all of these things influence the way that that we age because they influence our health. And so kind of back to this overarching theme of nothing lives in isolation. We can't just focus on the physical. Yes, we focused a lot on strength training and adequate protein intake. That is one small piece of this huge puzzle when it comes to aging well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, I believe that this is probably one of the most important topics of conversation that people need to visit at this time in, especially in our world right now, Mm -hmm. because everyone is so focused on staying well. Yeah. And I think that there's so much focus on just not getting sick, not getting sick, yeah. not getting sick. Yeah. But if we were to take a step back and look at things from a, a calm perspective and we look at all these different pieces, there's just so much more and it doesn't have to be overwhelming, but there's so much more that we can control mm-hmm. back to the word agency, mm-hmm. which should be empowering for people and not unnerving, not scary. You know, but this, this conversation is, it's imperative, I think at this, at this time, uh, especially as we move forward in this day and age, you know, there's, there's a lot of stress that stress is not going anywhere. It's probably just going to increase when we're talking about the world's happenings. Mm-hmm. So all of these determinants play such a vital role and it's not just about the weights. It's not just about the green smoothie. It's not just about walking. It's not just about this no. or just about that. It's about a combination of, you know, and what, and and you do have more control than you think. Absolutely. And, and it's hard. Like not everyone is in the position, but I mean, if you have a strong social support system, that goes very oh, far, very far. Because very as we far. talk, I mean, I talk about chronic conditions. I'm not just talking about physical chronic conditions. I'm talking about anxiety, depression, mm, mood yeah. disorders. Yeah. Yeah. And These are times- increasing as well. A lot of times these, they go hand in hand too. They absolutely go hand yeah. in hand. Yeah. Typically someone with some mental and emotional um, challenge in terms of conditions, you will see some type of physical pain that either absolutely. follows it or that precedes it. You just will. 
Yeah. 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 It's the chicken and egg. What comes exactly. first, right? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, okay. As we wrap, I mean, I just feel like there's so much more to say. <laughs> there's so much more to say. I, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation, but I, I want to wrap by, if you had to leave us with two or three main takeaways. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here and there's a lot of things to digest, I think for our listeners as well, but are already, I should say, but really like, like I said earlier, gun to your head type of thing. Mm -hmm. What would you say, what would be your two to three biggest pieces of advice on where to focus in terms of quote unquote aging? Well, you're never too old to start exercising exercising is essential for your health, particularly strength training. So if you don't do that, start in any kind of capacity that you possibly can, because it matters. Having muscle on your body matters. When you have muscle on your body, you also feel more capable in life. And that contributes to overall well-being. The other part is don't expect to do things alone and succeed. Wow. Great point. Great point. You have to have your support system on board. If you want to be successful, everything that you do affects the people around you and what they do affects you. Take advantage of that. Like get the support that you need and the influence that you need and take advantage of it and realize that you are not an Island and that you're, we're never meant to be an Island and that your health is dependent on other people as well. It's not just you. But the third thing is, is that you do have agency. So even though things happen to you and they always will, you still have the ability to respond in a way that you want to. You still have some capacity of agency over your life, even when things happen that are out of your control. And most of the time things happen that are out of our control. Right. Right. But our ability to respond is what really matters. I love those. I love those. And I want to go back to your second one too, in terms of community and connection and support systems. It's not the quantity. It nope. is the quality. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cause sometimes we can get lost in that. And I know sometimes for our younger listeners, you tend to learn this as you get older, <laughs> that mm-hmm. it's really not, you know, you don't need 200 people in your life to get the support that you need. You need a, a just a good small circle of people. Two or three people you can really count on. Yeah. You can really rely on and really trust. And yeah, that's a big, that's a big point because I know when I was younger, I used to think that more, the more, the better, Yeah, (laughs) you know, when it came to social connections and all of that. And as we, as we get older, obviously we learn these lessons, right? Or we learn, we learn, we learn along the way, but Wow. So much good stuff, my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate this so much. I think that this is so, so valuable. Uh, I, I really think that people are going to leave this episode with just some really practical, valuable takeaways. Where can our listeners find you currently? I know that you are taking a break off social media. You Tell can't us, find yes. me ever. <laughs> Are you in hiding? <laughs> uh, I've taken long breaks off social media in the past. I think this one's going to stick. I have my own podcast called What the Health on iTunes. And I post regularly there. In terms of Instagram and Facebook, you can follow me on Instagram at Lena Jade's Healthy Life, but I'm not on there. Like <laughs> she does have a lot of older content though. That's I do. There. Yeah, that's still very valuable. Yeah, I do, and and I do post updates when I do a podcast, but I don't respond. I don't look at comments. I don't do any of that. I mean, the research is very clear about how social media affects our mental health, and as someone working in the mental health field, I can't support a system that derails my mental health. So for me personally, I'm not, I'm not active on social media. However, the podcast is a form of social media. So if you want to hear more about content, I absolutely post regular uh, podcasts and and have all sorts of guests on my show, including yours truly, which was (laughs) a fantastic episode. Oh, I appreciate that. That was really fun. 
Uh, and I have yeah. a website, lenajadeshealthylife.com. And, and most of that, most of that is still centered around the podcast. Perfect. Yeah. You guys, her podcast is wonderful. And so if you have not had a chance to listen, make sure that you find her podcast, What the Health. It is available on iTunes and subscribe. And she's got a lot of great shows with so many great guests. And she also does little mini-sodes or which are mini solo episodes. And when she, and she's really candid on those as well. I, I highly recommend the podcast. So, and I completely understand and respect and admire your step away from social media. I think that's commendable. And I love that you're doing that for you and your health and what, and you know what you need. Mm -hmm. So, you know, despite the, the temptation and all of the, all of the stuff that surrounds, you know, quote unquote, having to be on there. Yeah. I think it's awesome that you're, that you've stepped back. So good for you. Oh, good well, for thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you again for having me on the shows. Such no, an honor to be no, here with you. It is. It has been such a wonderful, wonderful conversation. We're going to have to do it again. There's going to have to be a part two because I think there's so many more things to discuss. But I really, really, really thank you for coming on. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. <laughs> okay, my friend. We will talk very soon. Thanks again. You're welcome. <laughs> Take care, okay? Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. I hope you not only enjoyed listening, but you were able to grab a few takeaways from the episode that you could either implement, experiment with, or just simply get curious about. Remember that you can find all the latest regarding this show on Instagram at well.with.vanessa, and you could also follow my personal wellness account at the gift of goods. If you feel inclined, I would love it if you could subscribe to this podcast from whatever platform you're listening, as that helps me reach more ears and touch more hearts. I would also be so grateful if you could leave me a review or a rating as well. So thank you so much for listening. That's all for now. And remember, we are beautifully designed to live not by chance and coincidence, but with purpose and intention. See you all next time.